I'm the doctor, by the way. You're listening to Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's going meta once again as we document the documentaries. We're on the trail, as ever, of those sections of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord, as played by Paul McGann. I'm Rebecca Chapman. And I'm Kenny Smith. And you join us as we resume our quest to feature the eighth Doctor's exploits, whether on screen, in books, novellas, full cast audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, magazines, and indeed more, as we're about to find out. (laughs) Indeed. Today we're turning our eye to a DVD release which is all about the 8th Doctor's TV era, or at least his debut. Yep, indeed we are. Today we're having a look at a release from Real Time Pictures, which is part of their The Doctor's range, this time covering the Paul McGann years. I suppose it's safe to say now that given that he's been more than a one-night stand from 1996 in San Francisco, even in terms of people who say the books and audios aren't canon, given that we've had Night of the Doctor, and even those who don't count it can't ignore him in The Power of the Doctor. Definitely not. He is definitely here to stay for at least a while. Oh, absolutely. Dear Paul McGann, please don't die. I didn't mean die. Well, that's how it came across to me. Yeah, I've... Uh, oh, no. I've, no, 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 no. I've actually got the documentary disc here. I actually just realised that I should have had it in my hand. So I'm actually reaching across to my Doctor Who cupboard. Um, yeah. And uh, okay. hang on, I'm just going into my Doctor Who cupboard. And finding... Uh, oh, oh, put them in the wrong place. That's why. Mm-hmm. You, you listeners obviously cannot see this, but Kenny is currently stretching his wired headset across his bedroom to his wardrobe. <laughs> so well prepared. <laughs> uh, yes, um, <laughs> I didn't catch much of that, so I'll find out when it comes back to the editing process what you just said. So uh, don't tell me, so I'm surprised. <laughs> um, but yes, I've got here, as you can see, I've got the disc here. Woot, so it's woot. got a nice picture of uh, Mr. McGann from TV Movie, plus a nice of the Doctor picture, Daphne Ashbrook, Eric Roberts, and our pal Yuji Cho. Meet the stars from TV's top science fiction series. So yes, Ooh. that's that's what we've got. So, I mean, I'm a, as you know from previous episodes that we've done when we've had the likes of other documentaries on there, particularly Matthew Jacobs' Doctor Who Am I, which obviously we featured a couple of weeks back, and uh, previously we've had um, a look at the making of the the TV movie with uh, bidding adieu. So yeah, there's a hell of a lot of stuff there. Are you a fan of documentaries and such like some DVD extras? I'm a fan of documentaries. Um, I sometimes find that like the movie extras or the TV extras kind of ruin it for me because like, I find it harder to suspend belief by ah. watching those. You're saying that they destroy the magic for you? They do. Oh, my goodness. So, so you like to believe that like Marvel movies are real, that sort of thing, so that there's no such thing as green screen? Yes. It makes me feel better about watching them, otherwise my brain can't <laughs> compute why I would be watching it. <laughs> that does make sense. No, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of them. I love, as a, somebody who buys the Doctor Who, the collection Blue on Blu-ray, I absolutely love it. I go through all the extras sometimes before I even watch the actual programmes. I know the same from the classic Doctor Who, I know them inside out. It's just a chance to see these things about how they did stuff. I mean, some documentaries you completely forget about. I mean, there was one that was on the recent uh, season nine which i'd completely forgotten about and I was like, oh yeah remember that now and yeah i was surprised to see that there <laughs> but it was uh, yeah it was very very entertaining just to, to put things in context but no i, I suppose it's just because i like to know how things were done i suppose 
I'm a frustrated physicist that way. I suppose in some ways that's why I became a journalist, because I like to know why things happen, so I ask about them. And in many ways, every week we're producing our own little documentary. So yes, we are very meta there by talking <laughs> about them. But no, I have to say, this range is fantastic. I've been a big fan of real time for years. But tell you what, why don't you read out the cover blurb? Because that actually ties into something that I will say about that. Ah, hang on two seconds. <clears throat> this is the definitive set of interviews with the team who brought the Paul McGann era of Doctor Who to life. These six documentaries are the best in-depth interviews with Paul McGann, the Eighth Doctor, Daphne Ashbrook, Grace Holloway, E.G. Cho, Chang Lee, Eric Roberts, the Master, Philip Segal, producer, and Jeffrey Sachs, the director, ever undertaken. Presented by Sophie Aldred, Robert Dick, and the voice of the Daleks, Nicholas Briggs. For all Doctor Who fans, this two-disc special collector's edition is five hours of pure nostalgia, which will give you a whole new insight into the making of your favourite science fiction series. I don't think I've ever heard you sound more sultry. <laughs> My voice seems to have got a lot lower recently, and I don't know if I'm ill. <laughs> or is it just pregnancy? It could just be pregnancy. It could well be. But yeah, um, this this ties in quite nicely, just because you mentioned the presenters, Sophie Aldridge, Robert Dick, and the voice of Daleks, Nicholas Briggs. All hail the boss, Mr Briggs. Oop. Um, yeah, Robert Dick, is uh, he's a fan uh, from Edinburgh, who I first met on... Uh, 20, 20, 28th September, what was the week after 20th September? 5th of October uh, 1992. Actually, that's uh, four years to the day after Remembrance of the Daleks was first broadcast. Interesting. That's really tragic that I know that. Anyway, um, I first met Robert <laughs> then in the Edinburgh Doctor Who group and uh, him a very good friend. As um, First time I met him, um, he'd been warned that um, I'm somebody who talks just as much as he does quite ironic that we both end up being involved in sort of interviewing people and stuff over the years but there we go so yeah uh, so i've been robert and he was the first one who introduced me to real-time videos many many years ago um with, with their myth maker series and interviews with doctor people and uh, used to lend me his ones and i bought a few myself over the years as well so they're really good just to get that insight so um i do owe robert quite a lot and as i found it wonderful ironic that um Having lent me these videos years ago, he's now there presenting and doing interviews. So, yes, um, all hail to Robert. Oh, look, I put a rubber glove on my hand. It looks like I've got a plastic hand, like an auto on now. It, it does look like you're... It, why have you got a rubber glove on your hand, Kenny? I don't know. It just seemed funny. This is something that I do. I pick them up when I go to the hospital, and uh, I find it really funny to pretend that I've not got a real hand. It's, <laughs> it just amuses me in a charity face. I can pretend I'm an auto on, and then I can just go... Bling, <laughs> and my hand will follow me. Anyway, sorry, listeners, you didn't need to know that. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to screenshot you with this glove on your hand to post to Twitter. Come on. <laughs> oh, hang on. Hang on. Let's put it back on there. I'm going to slip my rubber back on here and uh, fill it. There we go. There's one for the, the listeners on Twitter need to know what you are doing right now. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, particularly uh, those who love the innuendo. Uh, here we go. There we go. There you go. <laughs> Although it kind of looked like you were doing a Hitler moustache in that one. Oh, no, we'll just put it real over there. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Far better. Anyway, yes, so that's it. Yes, so I, I do, I've enjoyed real time over the years, and these interviews are fantastic. They're some really good, insightful stuff. The one with Eric Roberts is actually a real delight. Um, although I will contest the fact that they're the best in depth interviews. I'd like to think that ours with 
likes of Paul, E.G., and uh, and Phil Siegel have been pretty good as well. So, yeah, we'll just we'll just we'll let that one go under the trade descriptions act. But um, yeah, what one of the best? Yes, we'll go with that. I'm happy to accept that. <laughs> but before we hear from our interviewee, why don't we hear some clips from some of the mythmakers? And I do apologise for the sound quality. I did record them off the telly with my mobile. So at one point, my computer blings. But I'm sure that that doesn't matter because you're going to get a nice wee sample of what real time are all about. Okay, Paul, it is all about you. I remember you in your first really big role, which was, was it 1987? The Monocle Mutineer? That was early, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, we shot that in 85. Yeah. Yeah, because you know you 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 must have felt the same. You know, the, the, if there was any in those days, like the early eighties, because it's you know it, it's changed a bit. It, it hasn't, it hasn't. But the idea was, if you wanted to get along and if you wanted to move forward, remember they used to. There was only one maxim really, and that was be good in a hit. We caught up with Daphne at the Doctor Who Appreciation Society convention, The Capital, at the Aurora Hotel, Gatwick, in May 2016. Daphne and actor Yi Jin So, who played Chang Li in the movie, were interviewed on stage by Karen Davis. But Grace seemed to be quite a intelligent lady, very intelligent lady, and also kind of apart from a little wobble, she took most things in her stride. Yeah, you know, this is. And was that something that you wanted to bring to the part, or was it something that, that, that was already there for you to... It was written and run. They, they, you know, Matthew wrote it. So um, I had to be true to as, as best as I could to what he wrote. Um, uh, uh, as far as gravitas and that kind of thing, I, I, I suppose that's what you bring to it. I mean, you can play things a lot of different ways. Yeah. But I, 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 I'm kind of an instinct actor. I'm not too much in my head, so I think I just sort of approached it as honestly as I could. This is the cruise ship Fascination, sailing out of Miami for the 2001 sci-fi cruise. One of the guests on the cruise is E.G. Tso, Chang Lee for the 1996 Doctor Who TV movie. And this is where we caught up with him. Okay, I was born in Hong Kong in uh, 1975 parents were hippies <laughs> um, and uh, my mom was working at IBM and my dad was uh, uh, I don't actually know what he was doing I think he just got out of school and was doing something and uh, so when I was six months old I had really bad allergies to like dust or whatever it was that was going on over there and, and um, they, they thought that it would be better for me to grow up in, in Canada because um, I guess the environment was nicer in Hong Kong you know it has never been a really sort of nice place to live, sort of for pollution and that sort of stuff. Hello and welcome to Mythmakers. I am Eliza Roberts, actress and casting director, but today is not about me. It's about my husband, Eric Roberts, who played the master in the Doctor Who movie. Now, where is that man? We're going to start at the very beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Biloxi, Mississippi. Okay. And your your parents were involved somewhat in theater, correct? My parents met when they were in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. They were uh, stationed in Biloxi.
Biloxi, Mississippi, Keesler Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. That's when they met. And uh, that would have been about 1953, 4, 5. Right, but there was a theater company. When you were a child, was, was there a theatrical environment for you? Uh, there was a theater company called the Actors and the Writers Workshop, mm -hmm. uh, started by my dad. We're funded by the Martin Luther King Foundation. Because we're talking to the man who brought Doctor Who back to our screens, Philip Siegel. But I'll start the ball rolling. I just wondered whether you've heard of an old British war movie called Ice Cold in Alex. I have not. Oh, right. Well, in this film, uh, they're getting across the desert in an old truck and they come to a huge sand dune and the only way they can get the truck up the sand dune is to crank it in reverse, cog by cog, all the way up and it's John Mills and Sylvia Sim and Anthony Quayle and it's all very intense. They get right to the top and they think, hooray, we've got there. And then Sylvia Sims leans on the handle, it unwinds, it goes all the way down to the bottom again, and they have to do it all again. And it just, when I was watching this film the other day, and reading the book about the making of the Doctor Who movie, I thought, this is a little bit like some of the experience you had getting <laughs> Doctor Who back to the screens. Do you think that's a relevant metaphor? Uh, I do. I mean, I, I think that's very true. Um, it was one of the, what it is, it is the single most hardest uh, project I ever mounted and I had no idea at the time that it would take as long as it did had I have known that it would take seven years I would have never have tried but um, that is it's an excellent metaphor where did it begin where was childhood well I grew up in Palmer's Green which is in uh, North London quite the far end of North London and uh, I think what got me interested in the business was we had a theatre, a repertory theatre, they used to weekly rep um, with the same cast doing different parts week after week and when I was about six for some reason my grandfather said I'm going to take you to the theatre um, so we went to see a, a, a comedy one evening and in the interval we, we went into the bar, I of course had a lemonade or something and, I'm and he said to me I've got a secret to tell you, he said that room that those people are in, it, it, that's not a real room. He said, it, it's a set. And I said, what's a set? And he said, it's, it's all made up, it's not real. And next week, there'll be something else in there. It'll be a different room or it'll be a, an outside or whatever. So when we went back in after the inter interval, I thought that I knew something that the rest of the audience didn't know. There's a secret. And it was all about deception. So without further ado, let's meet the man who is Mr. Real Time himself, Keith Barnfather. Well, hello. <laughs> I'm uh, Keith Barnfather, uh, producer and sometimes director at Real Time Pictures Limited. Maybe tell us a wee bit about Real Time when you began and what it is you do for those who don't know, unlike the old people like me who've been around since day one. Yeah, I think I've been around a bit longer. <laughs> um, Real, Real Time uh, was formed in 1984 um, as, a, as a production company, a vehicle for me to make any kind of productions that uh, you know would come along as the years went past i mean as a, as a sideline at all times i had in my mind that it would be nice to do doctor who related productions um i'd always had that in the back of my mind so 
at the same time as earning a living from corporate business, television, uh, sales, and a little bit of info, info films as well. We started right back at the beginning doing uh, interviews and documentaries. The very first one being Michael Wisher's Smith Makers, which was the first one which was recorded back to back with John Leeson's. That's quite amazing when you think how, how far back those go. I mean, I think so many of the interviews you've got, they're just absolute gold dust with people, particularly people who are no longer with us. I mean, when, when we started them, when I started them in 84, I mean, I, I obviously had in my mind that I wanted to build a catalogue, but I, I, I don't think I really appreciated and this sounds a bit arrogant, I honestly don't mean it that way, but how important what we were doing was. It was when, sadly, we'd, we'd just interviewed um, Ian Martyr for his Myth Makers, and he passed away within, I think, less than a month after we'd recorded it, which was a huge shock to, to all of us that worked with him. And he was such a nice man. And you couldn't help thinking, you know, once the dust had settled, thank God we'd done the interview. Um, and that really, I think, started me thinking this isn't just about doing it. It's about the legacy. It's about building an almost unique repository of, of interviews with um, people who've worked in a television series. Maybe you could tell us about your initial interviewer. What, whatever happened to him? Well, in fact, our first interview was uh, for the first two Mythmakers was a Channel 4 uh, presenter called Keith Harrison, who was very, very good interviewer. And I knew him well because I, I worked at Channel 4 after the BBC before I, I went indie. And he did it for me as a favour. And he came along for the day and did the interviews. But I realised immediately one of the problems I had was... I needed interviews who understood the subject matter. Um, you know, when you're dealing with niche market, you need people who are sad like you. Um, and I needed somebody who understood the subject and knew. There was a little, there were a couple of little things that Keith did, which simply he simply wouldn't have said if he was a fan. Um, I think he made a quip about canine and the Daleks, and of course they never met. But he didn't know that, and so. After we'd done that first one, as serendipity often arises in life, I was at a convention down on the south coast, Southampton or somewhere, and saw Nick on stage interviewing. And I thought, this guy, this guy's good. You know, I can see that I could work with him. I didn't know he was an actor at the time already. And we met and we chatted and the rest, as they say, is history. He hasn't done very well, I know, but, but you know, maybe one day. Yeah, he's having some sort of... Maybe one day his career will have a big finish to it, but... Who knows? Who knows? One can never tell. I might <laughs> use him again one day if he's very lucky. Yeah, absolutely. Got to give these young people a chance, I suppose. Yeah, I'm very... I mean, I'm de obviously delighted at the success that he's had. Um, and pleased that... I wouldn't say... I, I, in no way would I take credit for it, because it was Nick's own talent that got him where he is. But I think it, it would be true to say that the work that we've done together has helped. Um, because it's given him certain confidence in certain areas of the way that he works. You know, he when he started, like when Robert started working, Robert Dick started working with me a couple of years, well, probably more than a couple, probably about five years ago now. Um, you know, he was learning. And now I think he's, and I hope Robert would agree, he's a much better interviewer now than he was when he started. Again, it's not me. It's just doing the job and learning the trade. So what were the highlights from your... 20th century Doctor Who releases prior to 1996's film? Ah, 
God. Well, I suppose some of the obvious ones are Return to Devil's End, um, the first sort of big documentary we ever made. I mean, that's that's an absolute moment in history. And uh, I think the bonhomie and the relationships between the actors and the director who were all there for, um, you know, when um, we re reunited them at the location for the demons was was wonderful. And, and that's a class classic for me. And who on earth is Tom Baker? You know, that that's another one that I, I value highly and I think is a very unique production. To a degree, it's almost impossible to say, you know, there. I mean, by that point, we must have done, I suppose, about 80 myth makers. So how can you pick them apart and say, you know, which one was best, which wasn't? I mean, I, I have a personal favorite in that I directed Louis Jameson's myth makers and, you know, I just love doing that. I love working with Lou and I really, really liked what we did and the way we constructed it and all the little pieces that she did for it. Um, she did little dramatic pieces within the overall interview, which we did at a lovely Victorian, recreated Victorian village, AKA Townswain Cheyenne kind of thing. You know, it was it was great fun. I, mean, I think probably those are the ones that stand out the most, but you know, there have been so many. I mean, we've been incredibly lucky. And as I said earlier, just so many people who are no longer with us, we can actually access them through these uh, VHSs and DVDs. So maybe tell us a wee bit about the format, change how you how you moved from the good old classic chunky VHS tapes into the DVD format and digital. Well, to a degree, I can I can say I was dragged kicking and screaming to a degree. Although, of course, duplicating on DVD is much easier than VHS. There are problems and challenges in everything. Technology changes, you have to go with it. VHS finished, so we had to move on to uh, DVD. Luckily, the technology was relatively inexpensive. And in fact, duplicating on DVD is far easier than duplicating on uh, videotape, because on videotape, of course, you had to... There, there were other systems that could do speed duplication, running the tape very fast, but those were only professional ones in the context of a professional duplication company. We couldn't use those for the bulk of what we were releasing. Some of the titles we could, but most of them we were duplicating them in our own uh, bank of VHS machines in our office. And of course, you have to duplicate in real time. So if you're duplicating in our program, it's going to take an hour to do them. With DVD, um, if you have a master and you're duplicating in a, perhaps a bank of 10 uh, DVDs, you can duplicate in our program in probably about five minutes. And, and it's a lot easier, it's a lot cleaner, it's a lot less hassle. That doesn't mean I don't hark back to the good old bad old days, but, you know, and, and I'm going to miss DVD when that goes, because that'll be the last, or Blu-ray, that'll be the last of the real physical medias, I think. From then on, it'll all be downloading and stream, which we offer now. And to the other side, the flip side of it is obviously... In 10 years time, you know, I'll just be uploading stuff to the uh, to the uh, ether and it will be available for people to download. You know, physical media will probably no longer exist in that context of retail. And I'm going to miss that, you know, because I still like coming up with an idea, thinking about it, working on it, writing it, perhaps, or commissioning it, uh, shooting it, editing it, putting it into the duplication and coming out with a product you know wrapped up ready for people to buy i'll miss that i'm of that generation but i accept that that's that's the way things are going to go you know and if we're <laughs> not sounding too um deep and philosophical but that's the way to save the planet you know 
I still like having things on my shelf. I'm like you. Yeah. Well, we, we are of a generation. I mean, I am a ge- probably a generation older than you, but even so, we come from that generation of collectors. Yeah. I have to ask from a technical point of view, how was it uh, remastering old tapes for a DVD format? Right from, again, right from the start, I always intended to keep everything, and I have. I've got every Rush's tape from every programme we've ever made, as well as all of the Edit Masters. So it was quite a challenge a few years ago to say, right, we need to copy this stuff off and make it, put it into the digital domain. Luckily, I could do it myself for the most part. So, you know, pneumatics, beta cams, SP beta cams, VHS in some cases of material that was supplied to us all had to be dumped up and uh, copied into the digital domain, which has been done. When we bought our own camera, finally, when we could afford to, you know, on a normal day-to-day basis to own our own camera kit, and that's another thing that's changed with technology, I bought Mini-DV, and so I use Mini-DV and then DV Cam. So I've got quite a lot of tapes, about 450 of those that I'm now going through now to, to get everything in the digital domain, and then everything will be in the clouds and on drives. I'm you know, backing up in both ways. Brilliant. Now, let's move on to the reason why we're talking today. We're talking about your releases that tie in with the Paul McGann years as mm. the as the DVD box says, so that must have been quite an interesting one for you. When along comes this TV movie, and you're thinking, how do we get to chat to these guys, get the access to them, and things like that? So maybe tell how some of these came about. Because on the the compilation DVD, we've got Paul McGann, Daphne Ashbrook, E.G. Cho, A. Roberts, Philip Siegel, and of course Jeff Sachs. So rather interesting mix. Yeah. Well, we. It sort of works backwards in a way. I mean, the opportunity came up within our normal uh, shooting of Mythmakers over the years to uh, film Yiji So uh, and Philip Siegel. Yiji um, was doing one of the uh, sea cruises organised by Dan Harris uh, in America. And Dan asked us if the same year would we be interested. Yeah, Anastasia and I were my wife, who's a director as well. If we'd both, if we'd like to sort of do the cruise as well. And um, we, we thought it was a wonderful idea because, you know, getting a, it wasn't free, but getting a, a discounted sea cruise around the uh, uh, Gulf of Mexico seemed like a very good idea. But at the same time, we made a video, which we called Doctor at Sea. But we also did uh, Yuji So's Mythmakers while we were on the on the trip. And, you know, that, that happened. And then Philip Siegel's one was recorded at a Gallifrey event. But they just were part of our normal recording schedule. Then a few years ago, um, while I was distributing through a company called Kosh, they suggested doing compilations of the Mythmakers interviews into single DVDs and said they thought that they would sell, which I was very dubious about because I didn't think they'd hit the mass market, but they were fairly confident. So I did it, first of all, with John Pertwee, and it was just the actors, you know, first sets we were doing. And we did John Pertwee, we did Tom Bay. These were not a problem because I had all the interviews I needed to do the sets of six. But then we were getting near the end, and obviously Paul McGann's period does rather sit in a space in its own. I didn't want to go into New Who because I haven't got enough, no way enough interviews with New Who actors to to take the Doctors through to them. But also the cost of making those kind of interviews and mythmakers, the charges with the New Who uh, actors was, was much higher. But I thought I would like to do Paul's period. But 
obviously you're then in the position you can't really do the years of Paul McGann because although he has been the doctor for a very long time he only did the film and then the little bits and pieces that he did afterwards the appearances and the big finish so I was left with this thing and I only had at the time two interviews in the can that could go into it because obviously I did the interviews uh, the myth makers that went into each of the years tapes was from that doctor so I had to have six interviews from the Paul McGann years uh, which I think we can justify by saying he was the doctor right through until so then it was more a question of actively and I'm doing that at the moment to finish the series but actively going out and looking to record people Daphne was doing a uh, capital and I got her one done and then it was a question of reaching out and Sophie helped me with Paul and he agreed to do it, bless him. Uh, and that was a, that was a great day. Really enjoyed that interview. You know, she and he get on so well. And and the amazing thing was Jason Hay Ellery helped me with uh, Eric Roberts, who'd been doing some interviews. Uh, sorry, doing some dramas with Big Finish, and got me in touch. And I spoke to to his wife Eliza and and him. And amazingly, they said, "Yeah, come over to LA. You know, interview me. I'd be more than happy. Come to our home." So. I thought, well, you know, how much can I get a flight for? Yeah, all right, I can afford that. The hotel I can get on my points. Yeah, I can do that. Uber out, Uber back. And I spent a marvellous day with them in their home. They was, you know, they were the most down-to-earth, kind and considerate couple. And I have very fond memories of recording that. And the genius, inverted commas, idea was to ask Eliza to interview Eric because she's an actress she's an, you know she's a professional she knows what to do and of course then i get my interview for free <laughs> and they're on site you know i don't have to do the the thing which i don't enjoy doing of having a somebody recorded later saying and then he said this and then he said that or what did he think of you just have the two of them interacting with each other husband and wife so that went brilliantly and I, I can't remember everybody on that i've tried to get matthew jacobs but we just couldn't fit it in but we're hoping to do his myth makers fairly soon as well which will just be a standalone myth makers unfortunately but you can't do it all you know i mean we're trying to finish the doctors at the moment we've, we're on to the production staff now we've got two more releases to do colin baker years and sylvester mccoy years and those will be out before the end of the year and then the series will finish and we'll just be doing individual myth makers again fantastic i i think you'll have a great time uh when you get hold of matthew he's a good friend of mine and interviewed oh, him on the him. podcast many a time i know that robert was ah, meeting yeah, with him as well yeah, I'll say I met him at uh, the Capitol uh, a week ago and Robert interviewed him and we had a really, really nice chat, the three of us. And we're basically setting it up. It's just we can't be sure of the details yet. Yeah. But he's very keen and I'm looking forward to it. He's a very nice man. Oh, he's brilliant. I've spent a lot of time in his company, particularly at Gallifrey this year, uh, him and Vanessa. So that was really good fun to do. And he's had an interesting journey. And then, of course, you've got Jeffrey Sachs, who's somebody who's very very hard to get hold of these days i've tried to get him for the podcast not at any luck but a great interview with him of what a career he's had and uh, what a great director too i think one of the one of the things that i'm lucky with now is i i think people just assume i'm another professional not a fan and i put that in big commas because i am a fan but right back when i first tried to interview tom baker um, when i was doing his myth makers i thought well 
if I go to his agent and say, hi, I'm Keith Barnfather, I want to do a myth makers with Tom because I'm a Duck 2 fan, they'd say no, quite rightly. So what I did was I worked with him on corporate work first. I was working for a large corporate company and luckily the guy I was working for was a science fiction fan as well. So I, I said, do you know, I think for these videos we should have a voiceover by somebody with a distinctive voice. How about Tom Baker? And they went, like it. So I could go to his voiceover agent, who was Jackie Lane at the time, and I didn't realize until I met her and I went, oh. <laughs> but I, I had already booked him three or four times for corporate work. So I, I went in to see her, met her, realized who she was, and I said, and I actually have something to admit to you. Told her, you know, that I wanted to, what we do as a sideline and would Tom would be interested. And, and she asked him on the basis of treating me as a professional because she'd been working with me for so long. And Tom said yes. And I think Tom said yes for that reason. And I think perhaps in Jeffrey's case as well now, real time is quite well known. Uh, I wouldn't say we're famous, but we are well known. And I think people, when they get the approach, look at it more professionally. They know they're going to be treated professionally and it is a professional production. Many fans are professionals. I mean, you guys are professional in the way you, you do things, but I think it helps to have that that history and that people look on it and go, oh, we're myth makers, you know. I mean, I've had a few few actors say, can I do a myth makers? Now that's even better, isn't it? When you get to that Absolutely. point, that people want to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I found that you're with, because I've you're been a journalist for nigh on 30 years. So, so I've got that. I can do the professional, just like yourself, can do the professional side of things. I know how to do approaches through agents and such like, and set it up and do interviews that way. and. Um, just be able to carry out. I mean, one of my weirdest experiences was my last week in my first job. Worked up in Aberdeenshire and they were opening a stone circle trail because there's so many wee stone circles in and around the area of uh, the Gordon district of Aberdeenshire. And they were getting an actor up to open it who at that point was hosting a programme on the likes of astrology and the facts behind it and things like that. And it was Peter Davison. So ah. that was my leaving present. Uh, I got to interview Peter Davison, got to do the whole professional talk about the, you know, talk about the stone circles, the TV show, things like that. And then at the end, I was able to, and just, um, Peter, I'd just like to say three words to you, Castro Valva, Frontios, Androzani. And he thought that was hilarious. So I had a, I had a really good, because I got the professional chat done and um, I think he'd realised, it's like you say, when they realise you've got the professionalism and then you can have that sort of bit of silliness. So it's uh, it's quite nice just to have that where, People know you're going to treat them with respect and you're just not going to be a, oh, what was your favourite memory of working with villain actor X, Y, Z? And that's not to belittle fans. I mean, no, I am all. a fan. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, I think that, you know, the, the, there's, there's always that level. It's very difficult. I can only say that all my life, I've never thought anything special of... Uh, I've never walked into a room and gone, ooh. I mean, there are exceptions. I mean, you know, I mean, I met John Pertwee for the first time way, way back in 1977. Wow. Wow. I was he, was doing, he was doing Irene in the West End. And uh, <laughs> there but for the grace of God, you know. I mean, I, I contacted him, I think, through his agent initially. And... John being John, um, one of the reasons I, I uh, admired and liked him so much was that he 
he got back to me and I said, you know, we're doing this convention. Um, it's the very first Doc 2 convention in a church hall in Battersea. You know, we were just wondering, I mean, perhaps maybe, would you, could you, would you come along? And he said, come and see me. So he, I went to backstage after watching Irene, he invited me into his dressing room and he was just the most charismatic, kind, generous person I've ever met. Anybody that ever tells me that John was only after money will get the sharp end of my tongue because John would do anything for anybody if he knew he wasn't being screwed over. If he saw there was money in it, he wanted his cut. But he did the first two Doctor Who conventions for nothing. All of them did. In those days, nobody thought of it from the financial point of view, and certainly we couldn't have paid him a fee. And we had a lovely chat, and at the end of it, he said, I'll come. And he did didn't even take any money for petrol yeah i love yeah. hearing see that's the stories that people never hear and it's so great to hear those just those wee things that when you encounter the doctors and other people like that they're just those wee moments that they give you and yeah i, I like oh that's giving me a warm glow for the afternoon well i met tom for the first time at that first convention i'd never met him before mm. i'd seen him obviously but i'd never met him before later on i met him quite regularly and i saw him a lot during filming at the bbc but i wasn't there then and i'll always remember him and louise coming because graham williams would have brought them to the convention bless him another again stand-up guy really got on very well with graham williams I, i liked him immensely and he brought them along and he brought them along in a bbc limo and I just remember this limo parked outside of uh, Battersea, little Battersea Church, where we held it, and walking out to the car and, you know, opening the door. And there's there are Louise Jameson and Tom Baker, who I had never met, you know, and it's all down to me. And I just said hi to both of them. And, and Tom was wonderful. But I always remember from the day is John came in and John was the light bulb. John was the, it's me, I am the doctor. In fact, he got on stage and said precisely that. Um, when Tom came in, it was like he just walked in in his dirty old raincoat and just, hi. And two completely different personalities. Yeah, No one better than the other one, just totally different people. One just took the audience in the palm of his hand because he's done it all his life and just rattled them about and gave them a fantastic show. The other one came on and was just being himself, but was riveting. Yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. Very I loved, um, I've got all those lovely old pictures from the Mirror Archive. I remember having those found and sourced. So have to look, if you're in any of them, let me know and I'll send you copies because I've got them. <laughs> I nicked them all before I left the Mirror group, so. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you'd probably know better than me if I'm in them. I should have a good look, see if a, a younger version of Yeah, that. I'd love to see them, yeah. We made a, a, a couple of documentaries called the, what do we call them, Panopticon Genesis and Panopticon Destiny, two productions, looking at that very first convention. And we got, I mean, it was lovely. I got as many of the organisers and as many of the fans that I could get who were there on the day to come back. And uh, Matt Irving and Terence Dix, bless him, probably the last thing, one of the last things he did, um, got them all back to the church hall and we interviewed everybody about it. I mean, sadly, unless there's anybody out there who knows, because there was one person there with a film 8mm camera, but we've never tracked that film down. There is no moving images of that that very first convention i would give my left arm but not really to track down that bit of eight mil film to see 
live film of, of that first event. So if anybody out there knows who it was, who was there, because it was one of those 200 people, but I just don't know who it was. It's so sad. But we had loads of photographs and we illustrated the two documentaries. That, and also on the second one, we had all of the original audio recording that I made on a home audio cassette recorder of the interviews with John and Tom and uh, with Terence and uh, Graham. And we put that all out on the second one as audio files. And they're marvellous because they're the first interviews either Tom or John gave two fans you think about that the first time they've been asked the kind of questions that fans ask yeah first that, is, that is incredible yeah i do not I haven't got those i think that's you got yourself a sale i get paid on thursday so uh, that's you got yourself <laughs> I'm, marketing. I'm marketing here everybody <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh, i'm currently working in a marketing degree as part of my as part of my core of my work and my new job so there we go all the fun and games that go with being a communications officer joy over this it is absolutely i do enjoy it but anyway keith thank you so much for your time it's been a real joy it's been great just to chat beyond the the confines of the mcgann years but before we go please do tell us where people can order copies of your productions from and not just popping into the local hmv where you can pick them up in physical format well some of them you can some of them you can't i mean we're no longer distributing in the high street sadly uh, because of the this as we've been discussing the slow demise of dvd and blu-ray um so they're not really around much but you can get any of our titles off our own website our sales website is time travel tv so it's Time Travel TV, you can look it up, but it's www.timetraveltv.com and you can buy DVDs, downloads and stream on that site. Fantastic. Keith, it's been a real joy. Thank you so much for your time and uh, fingers crossed there'll be a few more people venturing out to buy not just the Paul McGann years, but the whole bloody shebang. Thank you. Big thanks to Keith for his time and as you said, you can visit the Real Time website at www.timetraveltv, which is all the one word, Dot com. That's www.timetraveltv.com. Good for the alliteration and good for the teeth there as well. There's a... There's a... La, 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 I want to say it because I feel like it's going to feel good in my mouth. Go for it. <laughs> www.timetraveltv.com. I love it. Did that feel good in your mouth? <laughs> it did. It did feel really good in my mouth. Yeah, good. That's what we like. <laughs> and we're, we're very pleased to hear that. So... <laughs> Now remember, if you've enjoyed today's Pieces of Ape, or indeed liked any episode we've done, please do leave a review for us on iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts, as it means more people can find our episodes and it's always appreciated. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, at Pieces of Ape, and we have a new Facebook group too, so feel free to send us a request to join there. Yeah, please do. We've uh, we've got something like 40-odd members in our first few days, so that's all great. So please do come along and join in the fun where we'll give exclusive previews of what's coming up. For example, this episode that you're listening to now will be um, will have been previewed probably earlier today as we record. So anyway, all wibbly wobbly time away me. And we'll be back next week with another episode, this time with a chat about a very exciting fan project. If you were ever a fan of Doctor Who annuals, then you're not going to want to miss this one. Absolutely not. And we're going to have a chat with two of the people involved in the unofficial 1997 Doctor Who annual, featuring the eighth Doctor, which has just been published 26 years later. So, until then, I've been Kenny Smith. And I was Rebecca Chapman. Bye! Bye.